Well, hey, good morning, church. It is good to be with you today. Listen, I'm telling you what, it might have been cold out there, but it is warm in here today. Amen. I want to just tell, I want to tell all of our amazing volunteers that work out with our parking team. Can we tell them how much we love them? Man. And even our amazing greeters at all the doorways and keeping those doors wide open and getting cold. And they always are serving out there faithfully, even under the elements. And I can't thank them enough because they wanted to be out there to encourage you to come in here today and not miss the word that God has for you right here in this moment. I'm just so grateful for all of our many volunteers, especially those that are out there in the middle of all this. Well, listen, today is going to be a good day. We're in a series titled, Be Brave. Come on, be brave. Are you already off to a good start in 2018? Come on, are you already off to a good start? Last week, God got real personal with us, if you were here, and he talked with us about having private time with him, having a quiet time each and every day where we can create a space to meet with him and let him share some things with us. Those that were here last Sunday, I want to ask you an accountability question. Over the last seven days, did you have at least one day, one day where you met with God in that way? Come on, one day, one day. Did you meet with God at least one day? Okay, good, good, good. Many of you have your hands in the air. Listen to me. Listen to me. Maybe you missed a day or more. Don't beat yourself up with guilt. You just took a step celebrate that, and guess what? The next day, get up and start again. Step again. Time with God will change your behind the scenes, and time with God will change the people in the world around you. I just believe that. And so that's going to be a message we're going to continue to revisit, but I'm so proud of you that took a step this last week in that time with God. Listen, to kind of help you in this, because I had a couple people come to me and say, well, Pastor, you talk about this quiet time what do you do? What do you actually do in this time with God? So here we go. Let's get real practical. Grab a Bible, grab a journal, and grab a pen. That's your first step, to have the tools that you can help to be helpful there. Matter of fact, look at my journal. I love my journal. My daughter uh, actually did the artwork on my journal. See that? Looks kind of cool there. Pastor Todd on the front and even on the back, it says our world, acrobat, flea, parallel world. What does that look like? Yeah, those that know it, you know it well. I love Sydney. She's my little artist and my little Stranger Things journal here to help mark prayers this next year in my life. As I'm going to write and fill up this book, it's, some of those prayers are going to be for her. Some are going to be for her sisters and our family. And it's going to be powerful as God walks with me this next year and as I walk with God this next year. And so grab a Bible, grab a journal, grab a pen. The next thing Pick a time, pick a place, and pick a chapter in the good book. And what does that mean? It means that I'm going to try to find a time where I can be uninterrupted. And I want to pick that time and place so that I can be consistent in trying to meet with God in a very familiar time and place each day. Then I'm going to pick a chapter in the Bible, and I'm going to begin reading it. I'm going to have my journal open, and if a verse as in that chapter as I read jumps out to me, I'm going to go, wow, that verse is saying something. I'm going to write that verse down. That's what I do. And as I write that verse down, I begin to revisit that verse again. 
And then if there's a verse, maybe I go, wow, that doesn't make sense at all. I might even write that verse down too. And I might write some questions underneath that verse before I go to a commentary, before I go to the Bible dictionary, before I look anywhere else, I'll just say, God, show me what you want me to see. Tell me what you want me to hear. And I let God's word begin to hear and to share and to speak into my life. Come on, does that make sense? And then in addition to that, I might write a prayer in my journal. Now, why do I write prayers in my journal? Well, if you're like me, if I start praying before I know it, I'm making a grocery list. I'm going, how did I end up here? How did I end up here? But if I'm writing the prayer, it keeps a little bit more focus, a little bit more purpose for me to know what I'm saying to God. And then I can begin to maybe even hear him saying some things back to me in the very words of my request. Does that make sense? And so that's what I do in my journal. Now, that's not all you can do. You can do a lot of other things. I'm just giving you a start because taking a step is always the start. Now, when you walked in today, we handed you a worship guide. I love our worship guide. A lot of it's got blank space for you to maybe take notes so you can visually learn as you listen to the message. But in every worship guide, there's a daily reading. Maybe you don't have a daily reading plan. You could get your heart ready and add this to your daily reading and get you ready for next Sunday. We're always trying to kind of help lead in that way to create those habits in the the Word of God. If you're online right now and you're like, well, I'm not there to get a worship God. What do I do, Pastor? Good news. Go to our website. On our website at the bottom, we have tools. And right there is daily readings. And you can always catch up looking there. Then on top of that, this is probably the best feature, we have a Bible app. It's called Mount Ararat. It's free. You can download it to any phone that you have. And on that app, you can also have a daily reading feature there, as well as watch sermons that maybe you missed or maybe a sermon you want to rewatch again. It's all right there in your phone. Isn't that pretty cool? Tools to help you to grow. Now, there's another tool I'll give you. It's not even a Mount Ararat tool, but it's a tool that a church in Oklahoma actually created. It's called the YouVersion Bible. This is awesome. It's free. Again, download the app, and here it's got multiple translations. And in that, it even has daily reading plans. If you don't have a current Bible reading plan, it's even got a feature on there. Well, it will read the Bible to you. Come on. No excuses, right? No excuses for you to not have time with God. There's so much available to help you to grow in your private time with God. Does that make sense? Tell your neighbor, be brave. Come on. It's time to be brave in some things that maybe are awkward at first to start. Now, as you come here on Sundays, I want Sundays to inspire. I want Sundays to encourage you, to encourage you to be brave in your life. And specifically this year, I want these Sundays to challenge you to face your next mountain in 2018. So I wanna ask you a personal question. What is your mountain in 2018? For some of you, it's moving again. Come on, you know it's going to happen. This year you're moving again, and that is your mountain that you're facing. For others of you, maybe it's that new job you're about to start. And with the new job comes a lot of excitement, but also comes some challenge, some new challenge, because you're going to have to figure out what you're doing in this new space and meeting new people. Maybe for you, it's the old job. That's what's in front of you this year. That's your challenge. And you've got to find, how can I find life in what I'm doing and purpose in what I'm doing at this job that I find myself in? But this year, there's a mountain in front of you. What is it? I know there's some of you here today, parents of preschoolers. Come on, is that your mountain? 
<laughs> Some of you parents of teenagers, that's a bigger mountain right there, right, man? And, and maybe your mountain in front of you right now that's fa facing this next year is maybe a decision. Maybe you're graduating from school and you got to figure out what's next. Maybe you're trying to pick the college that you're going to go to. That's your mountain. Maybe you're going to make a purchase this next year about buying a car or a house, and, and that's your mountain. It's good, but it's going to be a challenge as you step out in faith. Maybe it's relational in nature this next year. Maybe it's stepping in to a new relationship. Maybe it's ending a toxic, unhealthy relationship. What is 2018 have in front of you. Come on, let's see God in the word, but let's see God in light of our lives so that he can lead us to be brave, to be brave, to be brave. I want you to keep hearing that because sometimes we don't believe that. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. And as we continue the story, last week we met a guy named Elijah Elijah. Elijah is a prophet in scripture. And what does that mean? He plays a very unique role to the leaders of the nation, most specifically to the king. And his job is to help spiritually guide the king to follow after the one true God, Jehovah. Now, with that role of prophet, it means sometimes you're going to have to confront things. And last week we started with Elijah having to confront something that's going to be challenging. Now, think with me for a minute here about the history of Israel. Israel is a nation that we hear a lot about in the Bible because God's telling a greater story through Israel. But Israel, when they first started with kings, their first hundred years, they had three different kings. King Saul was the first king of Israel. King David was the second king. And King Solomon was the third. Now, at the end of King Solomon's life, when he died, civil war breaks out and the nation divides. You've got a northern kingdom and you've got a southern kingdom. Let's show that map real quick. In this northern part, the northern kingdom called Israel is the kingdom that we're going to focus in on. This is where Elijah is serving as a prophet underneath the next king of Israel. Now, to give you some history here, for the next 300 years, the northern kingdom is going to have 19 different kings. And every one of the kings is going to be selfish and is going to be wicked. That's what the Bible calls them, wicked. And so for 300 years, they're not going to walk in line with God. Well, we're going to pick up with, with Elijah because he's answering to a king, and that king's name is Ahab. Now, let me give you one sentence in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30. It says this about Ahab. That King Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now, you're kind of getting a picture, right, of what kind of king he was? Well, if they were already wicked, 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 he's going to be more wicked than all the rest. Now, you might, know, you might know Ahab by name because he is kind of, a, uh, kind of a, a famous, for the wrong reason in the Old Testament, king. But he also is married to a woman that we talk about all these years removed. Maybe you heard of her. Her name is Jezebel. Uh-huh, you heard of her? Jezebel was a manipulative woman. 
And she was also very vindictive. And her role in Ahab's life is to to lead Ahab to take his eyes off of worshiping the one true God, Jehovah, and to begin worshiping her God, the God of Baal, which is known as the God of fertility. And this is what the tension is. Because not only does she want the nation of Israel to worship the God of Baal, the false God, the God of fertility, she also wants to destroy anyone worshiping Jehovah God. And so what do you think the man of God, Elijah, has to say to the king when this is the context of his assignment? Yeah, he has to confront. And that's where we began last week with his confrontation to King Ahab. Now, what does he do? He confronts. He confronts the king. He says, the king, you're wrong. You're living in a wrong way, and you're not worshiping the one true God. And he says, God is going to send a judgment, and here's the judgment. It is not going to rain until I speak it again. And sure enough, Elijah calls out that pronouncement and it doesn't rain for the next three and a half years. Now, just think with me logically for a minute. Come on. No rain means what to the crops? No crops. No crops means what to the livestock, the animals? No animals. No crops, no animals. What's going to happen to the people that consume these things for livelihood? People are going to begin to perish. Why? Because a famine is about to hit the land. Where is the God of Baal, the God of fertility, when famine has hit the land? Maybe that's the question God is wanting them to ask. Because see, God loves Israel and he wants their attention and their affection. Matter of fact, God wants the attention and affection of Israel along with King Ahab. He wants their worship. God wants their heart. And guess what? He wants yours too. And in the tension of the story, Ahab says it's not going to rain. It's not going to rain. Now, last week we began this journey of following Elijah's life where we mapped it from him leaving that confrontation and going to this place called the Cherith Ravine. Remember what happened there? It was his private time with God. And it's in that private time that we're talking about things this week because today the story shifts and it's time for Elijah to move again. But see, it's in that private time that God fed him. In that private time, God led him. In that private time, God protected Elijah. And it's here in this private place that we shared about this theme of bravery. Because see, this is what's true Bravery is born in our private time. It's in our private behind the scenes where our capacity to be brave happens because it's in that private time that God grows our character. Our character is our capacity. Are you with me yet? And our character is linked to our integrity. Because see, what happens behind the scenes will eventually show up in our public stage. And God is trying to show Elijah Come away with me. It's going to be good for you, but there's some work I need to do in you. And so last week I asked a question to evaluate your private time, my private time with God. Are we, are we spending the time that we need with God? And here was the question that we asked last week. Come on, you remember the question? What was it? Is God's voice the loudest voice in your life? Is it? 
Because see, we live in a time where it gets so loud. Everything is clamoring for our attention. Everything is trying to tell us who we are. Everything in our world is so busy. And God says, is my voice the loudest voice of your life? And if not, come spend time with me. Let me whisper and tell you who you really are. That's what was happening last week. Now today we're going to pick right back up with the story and I want you to see this because there's a transition statement right here. So 1 Kings chapter 17, let's begin with verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now if you remember, God called him to this place to drink water from the brook. And in the morning, God would bring him food. In the evening, God would bring him food. What did God use to bring him food? Come on, what did he use? Ravens. Yeah, proud raven fan right there. He brought ravens to feed in in the morning and the evening. And it was as God was trying to show you while the world struggles, I want you to know I'm a God you can trust. I will meet your needs. Yet even in God meeting his needs, This transition happens, and it says that sometime later, the brook dried up because there there had been no rain in the land. And then, look at this, the word of the Lord came again to Elijah. And just like this, the word comes and said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So what did Elijah do? When God tells him what to do, Elijah went. Elijah went to Zarephath. And I just want to time out there, and I want us to look at some things here, because there's something very beautiful and interesting in this place. Now, last week, the place of Kareth Ravine, let's just look at the map here for a second. This map on here was this place here. And and in this place of this ravine, we're going to see him move today up here to Zarephath. Now, here in this place, this secret place, this Hebrew word kareth, this location kareth, what does y'all remember that means? What did cherith mean? What does it mean? It means to what? Come on, somebody else here. I'm going to say you said it. Cut. Good answer. Good answer. Yeah, cut. It means to cut. It means to repair. It means to restore. There's something that God did for Elijah here to get him ready for going there. Now, we call this the private place, but now he's going to move here, and he's going to move out in front of people again. Matter of fact, you're going to leave here where ravens are feeding you, and you're going to come here, and a widow's going to take care of you. But it's going to take you going from isolation to now being back with people. Today, we're going to map out this idea of your personal life, going from private life to personal life. And personal life is all about relationships. Are you with me? Now, here's the cool part. The word Zarephath there means to refine. I love that. It's in relationship that God wants to refine us. He wants to shape us. He wants to mold us into who we can be. So let me just come out of the gates here talking about bravery. Last week we said we find bravery in our relationship with God and we can face whatever this world throws at us because of our relationship with God. But now he's going to give us a second source of bravery and it's going to come through relationships with others. It's going to come through people. It's going to come through our personal life. And so I want you to be brave and I want you to see what God wants to share with us today about bravery. So right now in your life, I want you to think about your personal life. Come on, your personal life. Let's just go there. Who are your personal relationships? Let's start first with your immediate family. This is the one. Who lives in your house whether you like it or not? (laughs) Amen? Who lives with you? 
Who lives with you? Think about that. Then I want you to think about your extended family. These are the people that maybe are family, but they don't live right in your house. Maybe they live local. Maybe they live in another state. Maybe they live on the other side of the world. But who is your extended family? These are relationships, right, in your life. Who are your neighbors? We talk a lot about neighbors here. Who are the eight people? Who are the eight families that live geographically around you? Come on, some of you are in school. Who are your classmates? Who are your teammates? You got a job? Who are your coworkers? Who are the people that you see more hours of the day than you do your own flesh and blood, your own family, right? And then who are your friends? Those are choices. Who do you choose to connect with? I know in this church, we're asking you often to get this big church and make it small. Who's your small group? Who are you doing life with? And then who is your church? Do you got it yet? You see, sometimes we've got to look at this to begin to see what God's building in us. When I think about family, immediate family, I think about my house and I think about my girls, my three daughters, I think about my wife, I think about Eli, I think about who's living now with us in our home. And in our family, in our family, I, I think about this theme of, of being brave. And I think, about, I think about the role that my wife plays in my life. Now listen, I know some of you are in a place where maybe you're struggling in your marriage. And I know you can't maybe say the same things I'm saying about my wife, but I'm telling you right now, my wife helps me to be brave. Why? My, I'm an insecure dude. I question, I get fearful, I get filled with doubt, and it's usually my wife telling me what I need to hear when I need to hear it and sharing again the word of God to me and trying to encourage and to build me. Praise God that that's the relationship she has with me. My wife helps me to be brave. Maybe that's your wife. Maybe that's your spouse. Is it? Is it? Because to me, think about these people. I think it's important for you to evaluate your personal relationships. Another, another area of my life is my, my friendships, the people that I choose. I've got this one friend I've been friends with ever since middle school. Isn't that wild to think? Friendship over time like that. But Keith is a good friend and more like a brother to me. He's also in ministry, so maybe we share that a little bit. I'll be honest with you, we're kind of like girls. We talk about two or three times a week. Isn't that crazy? I'll admit it, I'll admit it. And sometimes it's called to check up on each other. Sometimes it's to pray for one another or to share a challenge we're going through. And it's just friendship over time and it's been huge for me. But it's also friends right here locally. I, mean, I think about in this hour, Troy. Troy and I see each other four or five times a week working out together. And man, he's, uh, he's closer than a brother, right? It's friendship, it's friendship. Who's your, personal, who's your personal relationship you're thinking about now? Come on. I think about my small group. And all the many men in that group and women in that group and the friendships in that group. I think about Mark, one of our leaders in our group, and the way he relates with me and he checks on me. And, and, and these people that give me bravery, and I wonder sometimes, do I give anything back to them or do I just take it? You know, we start thinking about the people, the people, the people. I think it's important because that's what I want us to see today. There's something in this story, it gets personal. It gets personal. And today, as we look at Elijah's unique story, I think you need to see something because God is wanting to you to see the people in your life that encourage you. Now, a few months ago, we talked about encouragement, and we said the word encourage means to give what? To give, oh man, what a great preacher, to give courage, to give courage. Encouragement means to give courage. So to discourage means to take courage. And we want people in our life that are going to give courage to us. Can, can, can we agree to that, right? 
And I want you to see that when we find people in our lives that are speaking to us, people in our lives can actually help us to be brave. So watch how God leads Elijah. It says that he went to Zarephath and he came to a town gate and a widow was there gathering sticks. He called out to her and he asked her, he said, hey, would you give me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? Now, this doesn't seem that far out there as a question. Come on, it's a drought right now. People are starving for food and water. He had just traveled a pretty good distance as you saw on the map there. He arrives on the scene and he asks for help, but he asks for help from a, a foreign woman. You might not have picked up on this, but he traveled from Israel, outside of Israel, to a foreign land, and he parked right next to a place called Sidon, which happens to be the hometown of Jezebel, his arch enemy. And he's in enemy territory, talking to a foreign woman, nonetheless, and he's crossing all these barriers, and he asks for what? He asks for a drink. Can you get me a drink? Verse 11 says she goes to get it. And while she's going to get it, oh man, he, he kind of raises the bar a little bit. He said, hey, 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 while you're at it, can you bring me a piece of bread too? It's almost like, hey, dude, you're pushing your luck here, right? I'm already getting you a jar of water, and now you're asking me for bread. And so what does she do? She responds. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. I have only a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of olive oil in a jug, and I'm gathering a few sticks to take it home and to make myself a meal for my son, and we're going to eat it, our final meal, and then we're going to die. Come on. Is this not a harsh situation? Yet she says, as surely as the Lord, your God lives, is how she recognized it. Knowing he's an outsider, knowing he has a different God, but recognizing it nonetheless. And she said, here's my situation. I'm a widow, and this is our last meal, and we're about to die. Now, I wonder this, did her husband die because of the famine? How long had he been out of her life? All I know is she's trying to do her best to provide for her family. And it's in this moment, Elijah, you got to love his audacity. He says to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do exactly as you said. But first, make me a small loaf of bread from what you have and bring it to me. And then make yourself something for you and your son. For this is what the Lord the God of Israel says that that jar of flour will not be used up. That jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends the rain on the land. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? Today, I want to share with you real quick something to write down here. Two realities about any relationship that I think is timeless in this very unique story with Elijah and the widow. The first thought is this, relationships involve risk, don't they? Relationships involve risk. Come on, we kind of emotionally know this to be true, but spiritually, is that true? Relationships involve 
risk. Can I tell you every relationship involves risk? Can you imagine having to start a new friendship? When you're starting a new friendship with someone, guess what? There's risk, is there not? There's risk. Having to go to a new school and having to start again with new people, there's going to be risk. Do you know that when you are wanting to date someone, there's always going to be risk? Is there not? Can I tell you, when you get married, there's always going to be risk. Every relationship involves risk. You want to join a small group? Risk. And what is the risk? Come on, let's just get real honest. What is the risk? The risk is to be hurt. The risk is to be rejected. The risk of being neglected or disappointed or worse, the risk of being betrayed. And it's like this risk of all the worst things that could possibly happen keeps us many times far away from taking that step and trusting and believing in a new relationship. Why? Because there's always going to be risk. I'll tell you this, as a a 48-something pastor, I think about the risk of beginning new friendships in my life, and then I think about my role as a parent, and I look at my kids, and can I tell you, I get more fearful sometimes at the risk my kids take over my own risk. Because have you ever been with a child when they get their heart broken by a friend? They felt betrayed. Isn't that, a hard, isn't that a hard truth when you see somebody wounded in relationships, especially your own child? Or, or better yet, I, I'm, the, I'm the father of three daughters. Hello. <laughs> Can you imagine the risk of helping lead my kids to grow up to one day to be able to trust somebody in a, in a courting dating relationship that could maybe be a marriage relationship one day? Yeah, it's not going to happen until they're like 40 years old though, right? It's a risk, isn't it? Aren't relationships always filled with risk? And see, we know this, even though we're afraid for our kids, we know that if we don't give them a chance to take the step, they'll never know. They'll never know what that relationship could be if they don't risk. But it's risk, right? It's risk. I love the the awkwardness in this hour because my oldest daughter, Hannah, is sitting here on the front row, and she just started dating a guy two months ago. I'll add two months ago, two months ago. So we're in a new relationship. I actually do like the guy. (laughs) But there's a risk, isn't there? There's a risk. But as we look at this passage here, the uniqueness of this moment, what is being risked in this particular story, there's something for us to dial into. The risk, first of all, is the fact that Elijah had enough audacity to ask for help. Do you know that why many of you sit in isolation? It's because your pride won't let you risk for the relationship. And here, Elijah got to a place where God directed him with his word and said, the widow's going to help you, and he asks for the help out loud. It's a risk. And then what he asked the widow to help him with is almost more incredible because her reserves are not huge. She says, I have enough flour, enough oil for my final meal. And what does he say? He says, make me bread first. Is that not huge? 
Isn't that just like God every time he asks us to give back to him? What order does God want to receive from us? First, it's always first. It's like, God, 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 why are you making me go first? If I give to you first, I don't know if I'm going to have enough, enough to what? To live. And yet that's the, that's the risk this woman is being invited to take. And all of a sudden you start to wonder, what is she going to do? What is she going to do when this outsider, this foreign guy, this supposed man of God is asking me to make him a loaf of bread with my final flour and oil with the promise that it's not going to run out if I do it his way? That's a risk, is it not? It's a risk. What would you do in that moment? Come on, what would you do? Think about this for a moment. Every time we start over, every time we move again, it's a risk. It's a risk. And many will choose to be alone versus embracing the risk. So what does this widow choose? Let's just look here. Verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah told her to do. Do you see the theme here? God says to Elijah, do this. Elijah did it. Elijah just asked her to do this, and she does it. So there was food every day for Elijah, for the woman, and her family. Come on. The jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Come on. Can we agree today? It was worth the risk. It was worth the risk. She chooses to trust she chooses to trust, and her and her son had food every day that point forward until God brought the rain. You see, Elijah trusted the word of God, and she trusted the godly man's word. And in all of that, they both got to see the reward of what God will do when we trust him. Come on, there's something exciting about that today, church. We begin to see what God can do, but it takes us risking. It takes us being faithful. It takes us taking a step of faith to get there. I know this, there's always going to be a risk in friendship, but the the, the reward reward of greater bravery is what comes out of it when we're willing to risk in God's way. Is that not good? Come on. Can't you see where this woman meets with God? It's in the kitchen. Praise God for the kitchen. Amen. She's in that kitchen. She's making that bread. Come on. I can almost hear her singing in the kitchen. Come on. Praise God from whom all biscuits flow. Come on. I said biscuits. You know what I think about? I think about Cracker Bell right by now. Man, biscuits, right? Oh, better yet, I think about those, come on, those cheddar biscuits at Red Lobster. Woo! Revival, right? Come on, come on. Get your mind together. Listen, if we step out in faith, if we will risk faith, then we get to see how God can work. But if we're not willing to take the step, we'll never know what God could do. We'll never know what others can do if we're not willing to go where God calls us to go. Come on, are you hearing this yet? It always starts with obedience. It always starts with a step. Warren Wearsby once said this, obedience precedes provision. Obedience precedes provision. Come on, wake up. There we go. Isn't that true? You got to step in the water before the water parts. 
So many of us never exercise our faith journey with God because we're not willing to risk. And I'm telling you, if this woman didn't risk, if Elijah didn't risk, they would have missed the reward of what God was going to blow their minds about in the days to come. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to walk by faith, not by sight. But we won't, we won't experience the reward of relationship unless we take the step. And I'm just going to here to tell you this, if you didn't see it yet, God is worth the risk. And guess what? Real relationships are also worth the risk. And as we look at this passage and see the details of the story, I'm wondering what God's saying to you and to me. Let's just keep reading. Come on, let's see what happens next. All right, verse 17, sometime later, another transition phrase. We don't know. We think it's probably about another year, year and a half, maybe two years. This transition happens. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house, he became ill. He grew worse and worse, and finally he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what, what did you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and then kill my son? Uh-oh. We don't like this part of relationship. This is the reason why many of us choose to live distant from people. We don't like things when they get messy. We don't like relationships where, that have this emotional moment that we live in. Isn't that true? And it's in this place, it's in this place. What do we do when relationships miss the mark? What do we do when relationships don't live up to our expectation? Is it in that moment we push back from God? Is it in that moment we focus on disappointments? Or is it in that moment we start to look towards possibilities in the middle of our hurt and pain? You see, there's something that happens in this relationship, in this story, that happens in our relationships too. It's how is this relationship going to face the trial of a disappointment? You know, we talk a lot about relationships, and one of the verses most quoted about friendship is a verse talking about brotherhood. We love the verse because it sounds strong in nature. And it's this verse that we get in Proverbs 27, 17 that says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And we love that verse. It's like, ah, yeah, that's the kind of brothers I want in my life, right? But we quickly forget that when you take one piece of iron, another piece of iron, and you strike them against each other, sparks fly. It's not an easy shaping and molding when iron is striking iron. Yet isn't that exactly, we, we celebrate the reward, the outcome of this, but we sure don't celebrate the process of getting there. It's not fun to go through trials. It's not fun to face adversity. It's not fun. It doesn't feel good, but I'm telling you, iron sharpens iron one blow at a time. And at the end of the day, you know what I want? I want people in my life that I can trust. I want people in my life that I can trust will tell me the truth even on the day I don't want to hear the truth. And people that will love me with all my messes and all my mistakes and people that will forgive me when I humble my heart back to their heart. I need people that I know I can count on. Are you with me? 
Are you thinking about this yet? I love it. To say real friendship is born in the furnace, right? Isn't it true? It's in the fires of life. Come on, we got enough military here. Real friendship is found in the foxhole. I want to know when all you know what's breaking loose, there's going to be people that aren't running away from my life, but they're going to be there with me. What does that mean? Let's go back to our personal lives again. Come on, who's in your immediate family? Who's in your extended family? Come on, who's your neighbors? Who's your classmates, teammates? Who's your, who's your coworkers? Who's your friends? I'm talking your real friends. Who's your small group? Who's your, who's your church? As you think about those people, when burden hits your life, who are the ones that run away and who are the ones that stay? Isn't that interesting? When you begin to evaluate that, and then let's flip this around instead of just receiving it. What about all those people that you can identify and see their faces and know their names? When their lives get hit with the burden, do you run away? Are you willing to walk with them through it? Let me share another reality when I look here at this passage of Scripture that is important for us to understand and see. It's the fact that relationships are going to face some real trials, some real adversities. And I want you to look at verse 19. It says this, Elijah asked this woman for something else. He says, give me your son. And then he took him from her arms and he carried him to the upper room where he was staying and he laid him on his bed. We see in this one verse, uh, Elijah asking this woman again for something. This time it's not asking for water. This time it's not asking for bread. This time he's asking for something else. He says what? He says, give me, he says, give me your son. And really what is he asking for? He says, give me your burden. Give me your burden. Can I share this with you? Relationships get tested by burdens. Relationships get tested by burdens. I want you to hear that because there's something strong in that. I want to know who's with me to carry my burdens. Who's with me to help me be brave when my life is falling apart. To me, when I think about this powerful Story, this give me your son. I'm wondering in my life who's willing to carry burdens with me and who am I willing to carry burdens for? There's a trial going on here, and Elijah's not running. Look at it, it says again, verse 19 Give me your son, Elijah replied, and he took him from her arms. He carried him to the upper room and he placed him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord. Listen to his prayer. He said, Lord, my God, have you, brought, have you brought tragedy even on this widow that I'm staying with and causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy, not once, not twice, but three times. And he cried out to the Lord in prayer. He said, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. 
And the Bible says the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he carried him down from that room into the house and he gave, he gave the mother his son and he said, look, he said, look, he said, look, your son is alive. And when I think about this passage here, this supernatural passage here, do you realize this is the first time the, the Bible records a resurrection story? where somebody is dead and has come back to life again. This is the first time this shows up in the Bible. Why does God place that story here? It's a foreshadowing though, isn't it? Of what's to come later in the story that God's gonna do this in Jesus after Jesus dies on the cross, goes to the tomb, God's gonna raise him back up to life. Isn't that really what a foreshadowing is? And then it doesn't stop there. It's a foreshadowing of what God wants to do in you, what God wants to do in me. He wants to what? Raise us up out of the ashes. Raise us up out of the dead places and spaces. God wants to breathe life back into us. And Elijah gets to experience this up close and personal. And Elijah's learning in his personal life, he's learning. He's learning a whole lot about God. He's learning a whole lot about himself, and he's learning a whole lot about the people around him. And he's learning this. He's learning this to be brave. I want you to see this. What is the widow learning? What is the widow learning in this same moment? I love the conclusion because verse 24, it tells us what happens next. It says that the woman said to Elijah... Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. I'm learning the truth. I'm learning that your God is really the true God. I'm learning everything that you've told me, Elijah, as God's man has come true and she's willing to confess something. She's willing to believe something that even King Ahab's not willing to do. Do you see this today? Is it not powerful today? You see, the result of the miracle is that it leads her to a confession of the one true God. And, and it gives her life. Why? Because people refine us. People shape us. People can grow us and people can help us to be brave. And today God wants you to see something here. He wants you to know something here. The power of personal relationships. Think with me for a minute here. Tell me again the story. First three kings of Israel. It goes King Saul. Who's the second king? King David. Who's the third king? King Solomon. King Solomon wrote a book called Proverbs, a, a book filled with all these many sermons in it, right? And he talks about the power of people helping us to be brave. I love some of his sermons about relationships. One is found in Proverbs 16, verse 24. It says this. It says, gracious words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Is that not good? That's the power of healthy friendships and relationships in our life is the words they give us can, can touch us to the soul and heal us. The next chapter, Proverbs 17, says this, a cheerful heart is good medicine. Some translation says laughter is good medicine. And come on, isn't that good? 
but a crushed spirit dries up bones. And then this verse in the same chapter says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother and sister is born for adversity. A friend loves when? All times. And that brother or sister is born for the testing, the enduring, the challenging times of our lives and our faith. I love this. God wants us to see that real relationships, that relationships get tested by burdens. And he wants us to show the hope that's ours in him. I'm about our worship team back up, and, and as we have a chance to, to conclude, this is, the, this is the, the so what part of the message, and I think this is important, because I believe today there's some Christ followers in the room, there's some Jesus followers in the room, and I believe you want to hear God's word, and you want to put God's word into practice, but this is that critical time in the message where what I've heard the pastor say, so what? What do I do with that? And maybe you're here today and you don't follow Christ. Yet I don't believe it's accidental that you're here today. But just like a Christian, you probably have to say too, so what? So what? What I just heard. So I want us to just look at the story of Elijah just for a minute. And I want us to evaluate our lives based on some of the things that God shows us in this, in this story. Because I believe today God is speaking and I believe God is right on time. I was talking like this in the first hour, and it kind of freaked me out a little bit, but some guy just got up from the back and walked all the way here and stood right here while I was talking just right now in this part of the sermon. And I saw him and recognized him, and we continued the invitation, and then later I went next to him, and I said, man, how can I pray for you? He said, Pastor, when you were preaching today, you spoke to me. And you know what spoke to him? When I said, the brook dried up. I'm wondering who is sitting here today and right now the brook dried up. What does that mean? It means a chapter ended. It means you hit a finish line. It means the relationship is over. It means the loved one passed away. It means you retired. It means you were let go. The brook dried up. And what am I going to do now? Where do I go now? Yet that brook drying up that you see is against you. God might have brought it, so it's time to move you. It's time to move you. Did the brook dry up? Has the brook dried up? Is that what God's saying to you today? Then go there in that conversation. Go there and let God speak life to you again today like he just did in this passage. You see, sometimes as we talk about the Bible, we think that was good for now and then. It's good for today. It's good for right now. What has happened so dramatically in your life that the brook dried up? Can anybody relate to that today? I just wonder, can anybody relate? You know, sometimes when I give application, it's to the person sitting here. But what if the application is for us as a church? You see, the greatest danger for a church is that we think what we're doing today is going to work forever. 
And churches, we don't like making changes because we like what we're doing right now. We don't want to have to change. But sometimes if churches would pay attention, the brook dried up a long time ago and you're still doing it as if you're going to drink water from that place. One thing I love about our church here is that we're willing to take some risks. (laughs) It's not always popular. I get that. But if we fail, we're going to go big and go home, right? We're going to try. But even a church like ours can find themselves in a place going, why did this happen? And if we're not careful, we'll grieve so long that the brooks dried up and we're still sitting there. We tried something two years ago to do another campus just four miles down the road. Wasn't a smart move, but we started doing it because we felt it could reach people. And it did, it had reached people. God used that work over two years and it grew the people coming. It grew the people being discipled. It grew the people that we reached. But what we found is over time, because it was so close to this campus, is that it began to flatten and then it began to decline. It began to dry up. And and in that, it hurt us because we want to do multi-site. But here's what we found in that season of learning and growing is that because the brook dried up didn't mean it's over. It just means we're going to a new location. And we believe God is leading us to go down a lot further away to reach people in an area that we feel like need a church like Mount Ararat to preach the gospel and to help people connect to God and to Jesus and to one another. I'm wondering who's sitting here today that has a Fredericksburg address and you drive all the way up here today to worship with us and we praise that you're here. But I'm wondering if you're the one that's gonna help us to reach that new territory. God led, God led Elijah to go all the way up north to a foreign place. I'm wondering if God's gonna lead us to go down to start something brand new. And just because a chapter closed at Courthouse doesn't mean the next chapter is not gonna start again. Today in this service, Pastor Andrew's actually here. Pastor Andrew, are you here? He's gonna be right over here in the front. He's gonna come right here at the front here in a minute at the end of our service. And maybe the simple thing for you today is to come up to him today and say, Pastor, this is crazy, but I live down in Fredericksburg, or this is crazy. I don't live in Fredericksburg, I live in Stafford, but God's telling me I'm supposed to come help. I wanna get on a list so when you start gathering to pray, when you start gathering to plan, I need to be on that list. I need to be a part of what God's gonna do next. That's me. Is God speaking to you about that? Now, as God leads us in this holy moment, here's what I wonder. Can we just evaluate ourselves? And here's some questions to help us to do it. Number one, who's the three closest people to you right now in your life? Who has access to you? Who is a voice in your life? I don't want you to think of everyone. I want you to think of the top three that you trust the most. Who are those three people? Who are those three people? Come on, you know who they are. Who are they? Who are they? Do they know that you're one of their three Do they know that? Now here's the scary thing, because I know men, because I am one. Men, we're the worst at letting people come close because we just don't wanna trust people like that. And because we don't risk, we kinda keep people at arm's length, we're good with that. And sometimes when we start talking about three, we can't even come up with three because we don't let people get into our interior like that. But I'm here to tell you, if you don't risk, you'll never know the reward of a good brother in Christ. You'll never know what God could do if you would trust and to believe a friend. So who are they? Who are they? 
Maybe you let them know that this week, that they're that for you in your life. Here's number two. What's your current burden? Right now, what are you walking through that's just a weight that's so insurmountable? What is it? What is it? And then the question is, are you willing to ask someone to help you carry it? There's people around you that want to help you carry it, but maybe they're waiting on your prompt to trust them first. And here's what I love, because it's easy to get stuck here in our own burden. I like that we put this final question, what burden can you carry for someone else? Because you know what? Sometimes as we carry someone else's burden, we begin to lighten our own burden. It's powerful how that works, isn't it? Why? Because God made us where we need each other to be brave. God's done that for us. So is that you today? Come on, is that you today? Elijah had a friendship with God. We can safely say Elijah was God's friend and Elijah saw God as his friend. In the New Testament, we get the son of God, Jesus. Do you know that Jesus wants to be your friend? And you might be asking, what kind of friend would Jesus be? I'll tell you this with one soundbite out of his mouth, it's this. Jesus once said this, greater love has no one than this, than he who would lay down his life for his friend. You see, that's the kind of friend Jesus wants to be to you and to me, to us. To show you that he loves you so much that he'd lay it all down on the line for you so that you might know the heart of the Father. Why does he do that? Because he wants to raise up people back to life. And today, maybe that's why you're here, is so that God could breathe life into you through Jesus Christ and he could raise you back up again. Come on, is this good today? Are you hearing God speak today? Come on, who's listening right now to the voice of God? Did the brook dry up? It's time to be brave, church. Let's walk with him today. Father God, thank you for how personal you are and the way you speak to us. God, today, I wanna speak to that person sitting in this room that needs to begin a relationship with you. Right here today, God, would they confess you to be their God, Jehovah, their only hope? Would they ask for forgiveness? Would they believe? God, today, would they experience something from you that only you can give, salvation? And God, for the believers here today, would you help us to be brave? And in Jesus, we can find our greatest bravery. And in Jesus, we can carry the burden of people in our life. God, help us to be brave. Help us to be brave in this new year of 2018. God, you are speaking today. And as we open up this altar, maybe as we sing, somebody needs to come and kneel and surrender. Maybe somebody needs to come and give something up to you. They need to talk to you. God, may pride not keep anybody from the altar today, but may you freely have your way in us and through us. And God, as we sing, while some pray on their knees, may some confess you as Lord for the very first time. God, this is your time. This is your space. God, we surrender all to you. Lead us, God. Heal us today, God, and help us to be brave. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.